In her book, A Radical Awakening, the clinical psychologist, Dr. Shafali Sabari, talks about how we can often fall asleep in our own lives. We are so committed to our images of the way we want things to be or wish that we were that we fall dead asleep in our own lives and lose the ability to admit when something is absolutely broken. Relationships, marriages, work environments, parenting dynamics, how we are moving through life, all of it. And the thing is, we actually know. We know deep down it isn't working and we are suffering or lonely or silenced or pretending. But we deny our own knowledge. We tell ourselves our bodies and instincts are lying to us and carry on the charade asleep choosing to stay in a coma because we think losing the thing is worse than admitting it is broken. Dr. Sabari said it usually takes trauma, a rock bottom, to wake us up. And if we do the work of examining that situation, we should become able to admit that we knew all along, that we chose ignorance, that we contributed to dysfunctional patterns. However, she said there is nothing to forgive. Nothing to absolve someone of because blame doesn't have a realistic role in becoming awake. Only self-awareness, self-honesty, and growth. Dr. Sabari is describing an extreme avoidance of change because something is broken. That may be true for some of us, but a lot of the time, we avoid change for no reason other than we are comfortable with what's familiar. We all experience change in our lives, a move to a new city, a new job, a divorce or a marriage, a death of a loved one or the birth of a child, the changing of the seasons each year. With every end, there is a new beginning, and yet we resist new beginnings. We resist change. We avoid change because we don't want to have to be a beginner again. In our scripture for this morning, the people are asking why Jesus' disciples do not do things other disciples do, such as fast. Jesus explains he and his disciples are doing something different, something new. You can't patch up an old cloak with unshrunk cloth, Jesus reminds them. You can't pour new wine from old wineskins. Jesus is referring to the arrival of something so vital and new, it cannot be contained in the old rituals and forms of piety. It's important to notice that in these verses, Mark is not attacking the old. There's concern about the loss of the old garment and the old wineskin, just as there is concern about the loss of the new. But forcing the new to imitate the old does not go well. An attempt to patch a garment with unshrunk cloth or to put new wine in old wineskins results in even worse loss. They don't work well together. Change is necessary when God is doing a new thing. The pandemic has forced the church to get creative. Congregations around the world had to adjust the ways they worshipped, learned, and served. Just in our own church, it led Tom to combine recordings from a number of instruments and voices to make new recordings of over 50 songs. It led David and I to preach from the bed of a pickup truck in 30-degree weather. 
It led you all to meet with your Sunday school classes, your Bible studies, and your life groups, either at a distance or on Zoom. The pandemic has been a time of beauty and suffering, loss and opportunity. It is far from over on a global scale, but we're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel in America. With less restrictive safety guidelines and less overwhelmed hospitals, we are experiencing a new beginning, just as we experienced a new beginning going into the pandemic over a year ago. In the opening paragraph of his confessions, St. Augustine prays, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it rests in you. This longing for God that Augustine describes is less like curiosity and more like hunger, a craving for sustenance. The psalmist writes, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet my God? With all the challenges of church in a pandemic, it also brought us self-awareness, self-honesty, and growth. The church has never been so attentive to those who can't leave their homes than it is right now. And yet there have always been people who couldn't leave their homes. The church has never been so creative in supporting those who have lost their jobs or had wages cut. And there have always been people struggling financially in our communities. The church has never been so accessible to people who don't know Jesus and probably won't go to a physical church, but might watch the gospel being preached on YouTube or Facebook just out of curiosity. And yet there have always been people who were curious enough to listen but perhaps too afraid to come into our space. With all the loss and grief and disruption, people are hungry. We are hungry for the God who offers hope that springs eternal, the God whose love is everlasting. We cannot waste time faking the funk, as they say. God is doing a new thing, and the world is hungry for it. The pandemic testing our definition of church is just one example. We cannot ignore or deny change when it is happening, whatever that change may be. We cannot remain asleep. We cannot pour new wine from old wineskins. We cannot be afraid to let God do what God does, which is interrupt the status quo, turn the world upside down, God hears creation cry out and responds with grace and compassion and an undying love. We can be hesitant to trust God when we don't entirely see how a situation is going to play out. We want to see the whole staircase before we will take a single step. But in the words of Still, the song our interpretive worship choir danced to a moment ago, God is parting waters. God is making a way. God is moving mountains. God is whispering your name, saying, be still and know that I am God. The 103rd Psalm is one of thanksgiving for the evergreen activity of God. In it, the psalmist describes how God forgives, heals, redeems, crowns with steadfast love and mercy. God satisfies and renews and works for justice. God has done great things, God is doing great things, 
and God will continue to do great things. Amen? Amen? The prophets are excellent examples of God's people learning to adjust to the changes life brings and to find delight in knowing God continually works for our good even when we are uncertain. In Isaiah, the Lord says, Look, I am doing a new thing. Now it sprouts up. Don't you recognize it? I am making a way in the desert. I am making paths in the wilderness. Sometimes we are so resistant to change, we don't see God is using it to make a way. Be alert, God says. Be present. I am about to do something brand new. Hosea depicts the people renewing their relationship with God after a season of turning away. And God's continued love and faithfulness mean we have never gone too far from God to begin that relationship again. God used Ezra to lead the Jewish people in rebuilding Jerusalem after so long in exile. Whenever God's people felt lost or confused or hopeless, God did not and God does not leave us alone. Hope and peace and joy in the midst of change is what God does. It's who God is. In scripture, Jesus asks time and time again, what do you want? Do you love me? Will you follow me? Jesus invited all people to join him on a journey of bringing about a new kingdom. In our passage for this morning, Jesus defends his disciples when others question why they eat when others fast. In eating with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus does what others were unwilling to do. Jesus goes places others are afraid to go. The coming kingdom brings new experiences of salvation and healing and forgiveness. Jesus often ignored the customs of what was considered appropriate for a religious teacher and his disciples. And it might make people then and now uncomfortable. But Jesus is constantly leading us into new beginnings because of his overwhelming love for us. Some changes we can expect, and other changes seem to come out of nowhere. The slowing of the pandemic, saying goodbye to one pastor and welcoming another, changing work life, family life, romantic life, health. There are things in which we are all beginners, but being a beginner is not a bad thing. Quiet at the starting line, beginners can hear things that are only audible to those willing to ask questions, to stay still, to confess their unknowing. The love God has for us only begets more love, and this love leads us towards and through the holy uncertainty of new beginnings. Author Emily Freeman wrote, For the beginner in a culture that worships the expert, we are better because you are willing to learn, to listen, to say, I don't know yet. I'm a beginner in so many uncomfortable ways these days, Emily says. I find courage in my faith, in a God who showed up first as a baby, the ultimate beginner. For the step-parent, the employee, the student, the entrepreneur, the widow, the writer, the ally, the minister, and the friend. 
For anyone who is starting over or beginning again, cheers. Humility looks good on you. Yes, beginnings can teach us what we can only learn at the start. If we are willing to treat new beginnings as teachers, things change and we must change too. We are not who we once were. Our old selves made us who we are and our new selves continue to grow and stretch and show up to life as it is today. Wholehearted, vulnerable, maybe a little afraid. Fear not. God is continually doing a new thing, creating a new and entering into new covenants. God's new activity cannot be confined to old wineskins. God has done wondrous things in the past, but the past is not the sum of what God does. In fact, the past pales in comparison to the new creative and redeeming activity of God towards us. God is doing a new thing, and we cannot be afraid to let God do what God does. Whatever change is taking place in your life, remember, God goes before you and behind you, on your right and on your left. So take a breath, take a step, take a chance, take your time, and step into the new beginning God has for you.